The Sydney Festival podcast was recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people, whose sovereignty was never ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and those who are yet to emerge, and thank them for their wisdom. For 45 years, Sydney Festival has brought you bold performance, cultural celebrations, art, and big ideas to our sticky Sydney summers. I'm Wesley Enoch, the Artistic Director of Sydney Festival 2021. Our program this year is called Australian Made, and it's mostly about recovering after the year we've had. But it's also about connecting with our community, about reinvigorating our incredible local art scene, and to remind us of how resilient we really are. So let's get started. Katie, thanks for coming on board. It's great to have you here. I mean... We both grew up in Brisbane, and just to say to the, to the listener out there, I'm here in Gadigal country. Um, and Katie, where are you at the moment? I'm coming to you from Gubby Gubby country, and um, yeah, I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge this beautiful country and acknowledge the uh, pay my respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Um, I feel very lucky to live on this beautiful patch of paradise, um, just between Noosa Beach and Yamundi. You grew up there in mm. uh, in Brisbane, then on Turrbal and Yagara countries. There, you know, I know you as someone who gives lots of opportunities to others, but. You were given a lot of opportunities early and, and a great cohort of, of starters off. Tell us a little bit about those early days for you. Well, I went to a great school to start with. I went to Stuart Home School, which had an amazing music department. They had a particular focus on new contemporary Australian music, like classical music. So that kind of, um, you know, lit the fire of my passion for contemporary Australian art music, I guess. I was very lucky to be surrounded by that. Obviously, my dad is a journalist so my, my, and my mum's an opera singer, so my family home, the two uh, passions were writing and music and mum was teaching in, at home most afternoons a week and all day Saturday. So our home was just full of, full of music and I grew up in Ashgrove, which was a beautiful kind of, um, you know, big wide streets and, you know, open backyards and lots of kids just running around on bikes. You know, Brisbane in the 80s was pretty much a big country town. This whole idea of the Joe Bjork-Peterson years and stuff, and when that came to an end in the 80s, there was a great sense of opportunity that came from that as well. I mean, George, when was George established? Yeah, so George started in 1996 and then I started my trio Elixir in 1997 and so that's when I was at the Conservatorium of Music. That particular cohort, my my colleagues of my year, we were a particularly kind of potent bunch. I mean, all of us have gone on to have careers in music pretty much, which is, and all around the world as well. Um, and that's pretty unusual. So we were a very special bunch. Um, and I was completely inspired. I started in opera, because I thought that's what I should do. And then I realised I didn't love opera enough. I, you know, I wanted to make my own songs and sounds. So I moved to jazz, about which I knew nothing, honestly. I really knew about, you know, Louis Armstrong, Nat King Cole and Ella Fitzgerald. That was kind of it. Um, I was definitely a beginner. So whereas classical was more my area of expertise. But, yeah, the late 90s, early noughties, I lived in an amazing share house in Baden, which was full of actors and musicians and filmmakers and poets and, you know, it was a very creative environment and we all just went to each other's shows and played in each other's albums and 
acted in each other's film clips and very much a community feel. And I guess I've continued that through my life in my career with my various meanderings in the world. Your contribution as a performer is extraordinary. Your amazing voice. I mean, your voice is extraordinary. You, you must know that in yourself. But then as a composer, as someone who's then the ability yeah. to bring your skills to help others to achieve things too has been pretty extraordinary. I've always been a really fiercely proud Queensland artist. Generally, whenever I'm in Sydney, people say, so where do you live in Melbourne? And whenever I'm in Melbourne, people say, so where do you live in Sydney? And I'm always like, I don't live in either of those places. I live in Brisbane. And, you know, Brisbane were the kind of, you know, at the wedding, they were seated at the back table with the weird cousins, you know. We, were, we weren't ever really at the top table at the wedding for a while there. That's obviously changed hugely. But, yeah, being an artist in Brisbane was almost like an act of rebellion. Really, the Joe years were, uh, you know, it was a semi-fascist state and it was kind of dangerous to, um, to kind of have opinions that were different to you know, to the government. I mean, I think all art is political in some way, but it certainly did give um, artists of Brisbane an, an extra potency, I guess, and an extra kind of drive because if you wanted to be an artist, you really had to believe in it because it wasn't an easy gig. Um, not that it ever is, but I think particularly probably harder in Brisbane in, in those years. And then the 90s was just this exciting time, you know, and I was kind of riding on the wave of that at the end of that decade and Savage Garden, you know, one of the biggest bands in the world were from Logan. Logan isn't considered a cool place, you know, um, and that was awesome. That, And I mean no disrespect, I love Logan, but... It, it doesn't seem to be the, the cradle of creativity, but in fact, the, sometimes those hardships really it, give you impetus to do different things. This idea too of... Um, you then, when you were at the Queensland Music Festival, jumping around a bit in your career here, but when you were the artistic director there, extraordinary time where you were kind of commissioning and doing things. What drives you in those kind of worlds to create platforms for others and to, to make, in this case, the Queensland Music Festival a real people's festival as well? Well, firstly, I'm a fiercely proud Queensland artist. So my main thing with that festival was celebrating homegrown talent. So I was very proud that in my first festival it was... 83% of our paid artists were Queenslanders. It was also the most successful festival kind of on record. So it was like, well, there you go. You don't need to get overseas acts or even interstate acts to to have a commercially viable and, and artistically successful festival. The sad fact is I was the first Queensland artistic director of QMF in over 20 years. There are so many people that could have done that job, but the idea was, oh, we better get someone from interstate because they'll kind of be better. You know, I think Queensland has had a bit of a cultural cringe in that way, um, which we're slowly, we're getting over now. I believe music is the most inclusive art form. It really is incredibly inclusive. And I believe that everyone that can talk can sing. And one thing I don't like about the arts in some circles is its elitism and it's kind of, oh, it's, you know, it's for people who can afford expensive tickets and stuff like that. I mean, I understand the reasoning for that because obviously things cost money, but um, for me, I just really want, um, you know, festivals, particularly ones that are government funded, to reflect the people that they are about. So, you know. Hey, but I want to pick you up on this one, yeah. Katie, because I know your work too, because 
as a Kondamooka man, I acknowledge the work you've done, especially with the Walker family and, and Kondamooka people. Yeah. You mm. talk about inclusiveness. You talk about kind of engaging with people. Um, what dry, drove you to kind of look at some of those projects? And if you want to talk a little bit about that um, that particular work for yeah. um, Udru, New Knuckle as well. When I was looking at Amazing Queenslanders, again, going back to my time as the festival director, I was like, well, wowzers, you can't get anyone pretty much more amazing than Udru, you know, in terms of her artistic output, her political output, you know, her her fervent um, environmental activism. Earlier I'd done a record called With Love and Fury, which was celebrating the writing of Judith Wright. And in that process I discovered that Judith and Kath or Udru were great mates, kind of shadow sisters. Actually, in another project I did, which was called Frank and Fearless, where I worked with Mel Thornton, Sigrid's mum, those three ladies were kind of, you know, three revolutionary women of, of the 60s at the vanguard of the 67 referendum and the second wave feminist movement and just amazing women, really. Well, firstly, I love Udru's writing. That was just the main thing. I remember going over to the island um, and just feeling this deep magic on that country. Um, but also when I was seven or eight, I got Udru's book, or as she was known then, Kath Walker, um, My People. And I remember doing a school assignment on her when I was in about yeah. grade two or three and just falling in love with her poetry because it was beautiful, but it was really accessible. So I wanted to just celebrate, um, yeah, just shine a light on on her legacy because there are so many amazing people, particularly women, whose stories haven't been celebrated enough. Yeah, agreed. Well, maybe this takes us to, through to Songs of Don. Then this this notion of using yes. Don Walker's music, but having an all female lineup. I mean, it's it's in your DNA to kind of celebrate yeah. women. And um, but why why yeah. choose Don Walker's songbook? I mean, every single Australian, I think, pretty much would know a Don Walker song, um, whether it be through Cold Chisel or songs he's written for other people like Slim Dusty, oh, Kate Sobrano, um, Ian Moss, um, you know, Tex, Don and Charlie. He's been making beautiful Australian songs, very, very Aussie and very, very, again, like Ujuru, very true, no purple prose, just to the point, but actually musically brilliant, like not easy. So Chisel are such a kind of blokey band, you know. I was going to say, they're, they're so blokey. And then to, to put a female voice to those lyrics, I mean, I've heard some of the work you've already done. It's it's amazing because it, your voice, when I've heard these moments, shine a light on the emotional and the, the, the words themselves, yeah. the lyrics become alive for us. Yeah, I always love guys, men singing women's songs and I love women singing men's songs because it just flips the vernacular and you kind of go, oh, wow, I never heard it that way. You know, just when you remove the gender thing, which, you know, really at the end of the day doesn't really matter kind of thing. It's just about storytelling. But when you do change it from such a, a robust masculine kind of band like Chisel and Don himself is very much a kind of, you know, he's a man, you know, I got asked to do a tribute record to um, Chisel about 20 years ago and I picked Choir Girl and as I, the reason why I did it was because it's actually a achingly sad story about a boyfriend observing his girlfriend have an abortion. It's incredibly beautiful, emotional thing, which I think perhaps 
when it's surrounded by the, you know, like a rock band sound, perhaps some of that story may get a little lost. Um, so I enjoyed kind of stripping it back and the lyrics, you know, suffer little children, send a little child to me all day. The doctor handles his responsibility. You know, it's just like, whoa, that's really heavy. And for a woman to sing it, it, it just changes it. And, um, yeah. The arrangement that you do of some of these songs, or all, all the people on stage are doing, pretty extraordinary. Who's on stage with you? You want to tell the, the listener a little bit about who's on stage with you and and um, why they're coming on that journey with you as well. Yeah, well, I wanted, as I said, all women. Um, so the rhythm section are three ladies, all from Canberra, who've been playing together since they were little girls. So Jess Green on guitar, Zoe Houtman on bass, and Bree Van Rijk on drums and cymbals and they are actually the rhythm section for the Com Games All Lady Mega Band. And then I really wanted to have a multi-generational collection of women. So we've got, you know, Queen Christine Arnoux, who, you know, Ooh. I've grown up admiring my whole life pretty much. And then um, Susie DiMarchi, who, you know, was pretty much other than Chrissy Amphlett, the kind of first Aussie rock chick that I was aware of with the baby animals in the kind of early 90s. And then I wanted to make sure we had a fresh voice with us and we have the beautiful Emily Wuramara, who um, who I actually just played with last week, uh, just on the weekend up on um, Ginnaburra country at Woodford. Emily's only oh, 23, I think. Yeah. And then I'm kind of early 40s and then Susie, I think Christine and... Susie are kind of maybe early 50s. So we've kind of got, you know, three generations of women from very, very different walks of life. <laughs> um, Katie, what should we expect as an audience to when we come to Songs of Dawn? What is it the thing that you're intending to do that will shift us a little bit? I guess we'll be looking at the songwriting, you know, the, the songbook of uh, a man in his, I think Don must be mid-60s or so. So we'll be looking at over four decades of songwriting. But, yeah, he just offers these snapshots of Australian life that are so beautiful and so unpretentious but deep all at the same time, you know, like Flame Trees is, holy moly, that's just a genius song. And, you know, we all know these songs. We've we've listened to them on our car radios since the 70s and I would like to pay homage to an amazing songwriter and to reflect his career. Um, Don actually said to me, you know, his favourite artists are female. He doesn't really listen to male artists much. His favourite instruments are female <laughs> voices. So he's, you know, secretly very, you know, he's kind of thrilled at the idea that women will be singing the songs because he always wanted to write for women more than men. Um, it just, you know, not unfortunately, but, you know, he had an incredible career writing songs for men. Well, and l yeah. l let me celebrate you in this one too. I mean, to hear you singing these songs is going to be extraordinary. Your voice is one of those things that I think is iconic nationally, if not from Queensland as well. That they, Oh, actually, actually, being iconic in Queensland is being iconic nationally. So I think those two things yeah. go hand in hand. <laughs> what I've admired about you for years is your ability to just go get things and to make things happen. And I think you as a, as a, a someone who prepares the way for others because it's been prepared for you is a real sense of, well, mm -hmm. maybe a bit young to be called an elder, but as you come into your eldership, I just really want to celebrate yeah. you and all your amazing talent and your ability to help celebrate others is is one of the things that I think when we get older, 
and we'll get older together, we'll yeah. look back and say, look yeah. at what we've left for others to to inherit. And I think this particular concert, Songs yeah. of Dawn, I just think is one of those great ideas and just to celebrate you. So for those listening out there, come along and hear the wonderful Katie Noonan and, and a huge array of female talent doing the songbook of Don, mm-hmm. um, Don Walker. Uh, and, and an amazing array of songs, and hopefully he'll he'll hopefully he'll keep writing songs. Maybe this will encourage him to write some songs for women. Oh, what do you yeah. think, Katie? We've written together, Don and I. We've written two songs together, and I'd love to write with him again. That his we wrote a song called Page One, which was the single off my album with the Captains ten years ago. So that was really, really, really fun. It was awesome. Um, he has a very kind of structured approach to songwriting, totally different to mine. So it was really amazing to learn from a master kind of thing. Um, oh no, Donald keep writing, man. He's you know he keeps writing books and songs, and he's super creative. And what's next for you, Katie? What comes after this? Well, I'm trying to start a new, a new, another new idea that I've been working on for a couple of years. I want to start a nationally regarded chamber music group in Brisbane because we have a lot of wonderful um, ensembles here, but their footprint is mainly local and they don't tour. So I want to kind of create something akin to the Australian String Quartet based in Adelaide Um, But I want to base it in Brisbane because Queensland has an amazing history of great singers. So that's my big dream, Ave, Australian Vocal Ensemble. And we launch on the 10th of April. I've just finished writing my next solo album. I was over on Kondamooka Country a couple of weeks ago, back in the house where I've written most of my tunes. And I finished that songwriting. And also writing a new record with um, Elixir, my trio um, lots of things, lots of things. This year's been the year of stress and rest kind of thing, you know, and changing patterns and whatnot, whereas next year I think will be really quite fertile, which is exciting. Well, marvellous. All right, well, we might wrap it up there. Um, thanks, Katie Noonan, for joining us here at the podcast and um, the Sydney Festival, and we're looking forward to seeing you on stage with that fantastic lineup from Songs of Dawn. Just really a wonderful uh, project, and thank you for your insights as well. Thank you, Brother Wesley. I'll see you on Gadigal Country. I'm going to be there for two weeks. I'm going to be going to lots of Sydney Festival stuff. I can't wait. Thanks for listening. For more information on Sydney Festival, head to sydneyfestival.org.au and be sure to subscribe to the Sydney Festival channel wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.